This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney. So good morning to one and all to another exciting episode of Ultimate Global Podcast. Today, uh, we are running this episode as a very special series of episodes for the CEOs, founders, and co-founders. Um, I love talking to new CEOs and founders uh, because there is always so much to learn from them. Uh, there is some sort of uh, learning element that you can put into your daily life uh, because they have been successful over a period of time. They have gained experience in a range of different industries, and they have gone through a uh, a series of activities which you as an individual, especially for me who is uh, still in uh, 20s, mid-20s, would really love to learn so that um, I can aspire to become something like that in the next uh, 20 years. So I think it's always a motivation for me to invite uh, CEOs. Um, And today it's a very special uh, occasion for me because I've invited my own CEO uh, from LMS365, which I've recently joined uh, two months so it's it's really exciting to have you, Rasmus. Um, Thank you. I would first, like you to kind of uh, give a brief introduction about yourself, and then we can, you know, move to the questions. We can absolutely do that. I'm a little bit older than the twenty. There is a bit of gray hair and stuff like that. So yes, there is a little bit longer in uh, in life here. But um, married to the same woman for nearly twenty five years. Two kids in my t- in their teens. So yes living a family life together with a business life. In business, I've been fortunate enough to be part of exiting businesses for nearly a billion dollars. I've raised capital multiple times. I've been in businesses with zero dollars in revenue that we've grown. I've run uh, business lines that were $300 million um, over the course of my career. And then, as you say, I've been lucky enough to, over my career, have a, a lot of people who've been very kind to me, who've helped me who've been my mentors and given me good advice because um, you don't get to this place without a lot of people wanting good for you, giving you good advice, and you don't get here without listening to what people have to say to you. So I'm very, very happy you're here and very, very happy to uh, to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. And thank you so much for you to reach out to me um, on LinkedIn and fully supporting this uh, podcast. It's been a very long journey for Uh, Us in the last one year, we have invited around 52 speakers from 12 different countries Um, and you're the 53rd speaker. So it's been a long journey for us in terms of uh, inviting a lot of people. And the main purpose of this podcast is always to generate conversations, create a value um, in the lives of people through the discussions that we have. One of the first things that I would really love to touch from you when we are talking about thinking from a CEO's lens is what it is like to be a CEO on a day-to-day basis. So how does your day look like as a CEO? Let, let me start with the role as CEO um, because you get, you get to be involved in everything. And the first thing you have to accept is that you are not the best at everything. It's one of the things that you've had to, I at least have had to learn throughout my career. As you progress, you're the, probably one of the best at your job. You can do a lot of stuff with the job. And when you end up as the CEO, you realize that's no longer true. Actually, everyone is better at their particular field than you are. And that's a great 
uh, thing and it's also a scary thing, right? Because it means that you become the ultimate coach. You have to rely on the team to deliver results. You cannot fix everything yourself. And if you start to run around and try to fix everything on your own, you'll just be spun around. And I think that's the biggest learning growing into the role of a CEO. I'm happy I didn't have the role of CEO when I was 25. I feel I've learned a lot throughout my career. I've been fortunate enough to have a lot of different uh, fields of, of expertise under my helm. Everything from marketing over pre-sales, over sales, over strategy, customer success, even development. Um, and that kind of breeds you into accepting that you need to rely on everyone else. Um, and I think that's that's number one for the CEO role, at least. Um, and that's that's the lesson learned in order to really embrace that role. So what has been the biggest driver in when you were going through those roles of marketing, strategy, sales? Um, what is the one driver that really motivates you to be passionate towards whatever you are doing? Because I think a lot of people... Uh, who might be listening today or who might be on the verge of becoming a CEO might mm -hmm. want to take some lessons out of your story and out of how you reached this stage. Um, always want to be the best. Always think that you're not good enough. Always push yourself, push your limit, push the limits of what you think you can do. And, and one of the things, again, and I would argue that if you took me at my beginning of my career, taking criticism would not be the easiest thing because I thought it would be something against you. It would be something you're not doing right. It's not. So, it's something you've not understood right and therefore you would argue back. Actually, later in life and closer to a CEO role, you start to accept that uh, as this is actually, look at this as ways to improve. You may not always agree. You may not always be in alignment with that, but you should listen because you might overlook something. And especially, again, with the number of things you can be doing in a day, you can go everywhere from how's our cash collection uh, doing? How's our sales doing? Are we delivering enough support? Is our operation operational? What's on the roadmap? You can simply dive into so many things that you have to accept that people will have a different view and actually often a better view. And I've over time, I've learned to try and give as much of what I know to people. So allowing them to make the decisions because it makes your CEO life a lot easier. So when I say the motivation really is to, to, uh, to win and to be good and all of that, that motivation I then take to the team because it's get the team to be better. Talk to people, maybe give them advice as to how can they improve 10%, 15%, anything like that. And there's no bigger reward, and it's this is the best job of actually not a CEO, but any leader is to see the people that you work with um, grow, become better at what they do, find new solutions for themselves as well. Just as I should do that as a CEO. Absolutely, and I might also want to get a second perspective on that from George um, as to how important it is to kind of. Uh, you know, put confidence uh, on your employees in the organization. Uh, because I think George has had a tremendous experience himself uh, working in different kind of organizations, different kind of sales roles he has gone through. So he can also guide us through his experience. Thank, thanks for that, Sarah. Um, Rasmus, I just want to take up a point. You, you mm -hmm. said earlier on in your life, um, you felt that you didn't take criticism. 
yeah. well, and you've learned about that. I've, I've run numbers of businesses, nothing the size of yours, um, and I've coached many, many, many people in business. Yeah. And I refuse, I refuse to accept criticism and I, and I refuse to give criticism. Yeah. What I accept and what I try to do as a CEO is critique. Yeah. And the differentiation for me was I had a wonderful mentor who never, ever in my memory criticised me. He always critiqued. To me, criticism is when I put you down with no advice, with no real benefit. I just yeah. want to tell you how terrible you are. So as a CEO, I, I adopted what Jeff Penny did with me. I never criticised my staff. I critiqued what had occurred and yeah. offered solutions. Um, and I think as we grow as CEOs, we learn better to do the critiquing and not yeah. the criticism. And the good and the good CEOs are the ones that, that understand the difference between those very similar yet very different words. I'll say this. I agree with you 100%. I am not a native English speaker. I understand the subtlety when you play it back to me. Um, yeah. And I will, I mean, maybe if I, if I may, I'll give you a very personal story about how this can actually play out. Um, in one of my former jobs, I grew up in product management. Um, that's where I started. I still love the, the still love the discipline of product management. I think it's a phenomenal discipline. Um, being younger and uh, being very confident in my own abilities, I went like any product manager would do. Oh, we can sell ten million of this next year. Hey, sales, come on. Where are you? This is a phenomenal new product. Everything like that. I work with a CTO uh, who's who was phenomenal technical ability, but he was always, I'll just protect the development. So him and I were very rarely in alignment. And the CEO actually brought both of us in and sat us down and said, both of you, you're too clever for yourself. And that may come as cross as criticism, but I'll tell you how he offered that into a critique. He took both of us and moved us one to the right. This means he said, Rasmus, you've never carried a bag. So therefore you just call a number and you don't know what it means to carry a bag and actually sell. You are, you're running a sales region for the next six months. By the way, CTO, you actually don't know what it means to have to build value into the product. You just build whatever you want to do. So guess what he had to do for six months? <laughs> Run product. Yeah. And the thing that, that happened was the CEO was a fairly, fairly stern elderly statesman uh, type of, of, uh, of, of person. He pulled, us, he pulled me in, did a sales review, and you've run sales organizations. You know, if you want to pick a sales pipeline apart, you can, 100%. So he picked me apart 200% and went, Rasmus, what do you think you're doing? I, I made all the rookie mistakes because it was a new field for me. He pulled me back and said, here's what you do for next week. Here's how you should think about it. He brought me in next week. He eased the pressure off let me excel at trying to to articulate the same thing forgetting the rookie or overcoming the rookie mistakes and after that when he moved both of us back i have been very cautious about how you deal with products and how you talk about it and how you talk about future growth of products i know what our cto learned from that uh, that perspective as well he and i were fairly much aligned 
ever since that day. Um, and the one thing that the CEO got out of it was that he got two much better executives out of doing it this way. Yeah. And I'll forever be thankful. Was it was it probably more criticism to begin with? Yes. But the way it was executed ended up being a very great critique of something that I in my career that far had not yeah. seen and had not um, had not realized. And that made me a lot better uh, today compared to uh, had I just continued my ways. And that's a really great way, which felt not too great at the time because you really felt like I went from something that I knew 100% to something where I actually failed the week after. And that felt terrible. He helped build it up. And the funny thing is this CEO, still today, he did it with a lot of the team members. He's still engaged with us. He still sees us as his his upbringing. He's proud when we when we succeed. Um, so um, I think that's that's a great story of how yeah. how criticism and critique end up being the same thing. And me not being a native speaker will probably use the wrong word, but no, 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 not at all, how, not at all. How you get I there? Many people confuse the two, yeah. and and the great the great CEOs, whether they realize it or not. The, the the great leaders, the great CEOs actually do critique rather than criticism. Yeah. And the ones that don't are the ones that people say, I don't like working for him. It's a terrible person. The culture's not right because they create. Criticism is a negative thing. Critiquing is a positive way of delivering criticism. Um, and- I want to, I, because I, I have to be careful in these podcasts because Sarab doesn't let me in all, all the time because he gets too enthusiastic. So with somebody like yourself, I have two questions for you. Yeah. Many, many people see the role of CEO. Uh, oh, yeah, they're lucky. They just sit up there. They do the, do whatever they want, blah, 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 blah. I know you've heard it. I've certainly been told it over the years. My question for you, or two questions are, if you had to give us an answer right now, hmm. what would be the top two emotional highs that you you get as a ceo and what would be the bottom two lows that you suffer emotionally as a ceo um the highs are always winning a quarter there is no i mean the ceo role is easy as you kind of put it out when the team is winning and that's why you need to spend a lot of time with the team trying to win together a board meeting is a lot easier when you're ahead of budget. A board meeting is a lot easier when sales are coming in at the right way. And it always gives an emotional high uh, for everyone in the organization. That's how we kind of pride ourselves. We look at, are we more people this month than we are last, were last month? But what enables that? The fact that we hit our sales. It means that the product fits the market. It means that the team is working together, that marketing brings in leads, sales closes them, we implement them. It actually means and is the epitome of the whole thing working together, right? That product has built the right thing and we've gone to market with it. So it actually is one emotion that sums up the entire part of we've hired the right people, they're, they're good at selling, they've been great at building the product. And that, when you do that, when you have that session with the board, allows you to then do the second best emotion, which is you align on a strategy together. That is not, oh, tomorrow we need to do this, 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 and this, which means you just look down in front of your skis and you don't see what's coming. Um, 
it allows you a platform to build what we all love is to build this vision, this strategy, this long-term why of the business. And that's actually the platform that, that is enabled by, by beating the quarter or being on par with the quarter or being on plan, all of those types of things. It enables you that long-term thinking. So that's the number one high. Obviously, the opposite is also true. If you completely bomb a quarter, all of a sudden you can almost take all of those, those things out right it's the 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 lows are not if we launch a marketing campaign that doesn't work that will that will happen 10 15 times over in different shapes or forms it's not if a product misses a feature and all of that if we lose a big deal that will happen a hundred times over but when you get retracted into this low of a now we need to rebuild, we need to do all kinds of things. And I've had to do both things. I've had to do both cleanup uh, where, where the business was not performing well. I've been part of very, very successful businesses that were performing super well. And the bottom lows, you actually, the one thing that happens is that the whole thing turns to look in front of your skis. And you really, as a, as a senior executive, this is not just the CEO because it's every leader in the business. Um, really needs to pick themselves up and look ahead because the solution is very rarely something that, that happens next week. It's actually still something that happens long-term, but the board and the owners will have less patience with you to do that. And you need to have a very, very firm gut belief that you want to go this way, that you have the way out, continue to believe in the way out because that might also, when things are not going well, it might seem like you don't you're not able to find the find the way out and the strategy may not be right it's good to continue trying will it work at some point um and that creates like a double negative in that so it almost the feeling of success and the feeling of failure actually comes from the same place but it just um propagates a lot of of different emotions um where you need to be resilient especially when it's 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 in the um in the uh in the teardown um, mode or the or the lows of of, of the job. Absolutely. Do you want to have another question, George? No, I'll let I'll let you back in. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think that was a really good question. Um, and it was uh, even and, even. And and actually, Sarab, sorry for this, but but George, maybe also to as you were talking to founders and and to the CEOs and prospective CEOs, this is one of the hardest time. Not just for me; it's for everyone. If you're building a product from scratch, you will have these uh, these situations, and you will have to believe that you're right, and you will also have to believe you're right against a lot of odds because all of a sudden, the world, whether those are in, the world are investors that tell you, hey, are you sure you can fix this ship? Your employees, are you sure you can fix this ship? Um, your board members, are you sure you can fix this ship? Everyone's all of a sudden going, what's happening? And that's when you need to be really resilient. And I'll actually go back to that outside network because sometimes you need to find strength in people uh, that are not in the business, whether that is your family, uh, where I found a lot of strength, or whether that's your network where you have an ear and a believe as someone who believes in your core mission, your core values, um, that can help you because it does feel very, very tight. I also get to advise founders uh, here on the uh, with the Danish Ministry of Foreign Affairs, 
And you can hear that that's one of the, the key things, this belief, oh, I can make it through. And you see all of these, oh, Elon Musk made it or whoever made it, right? That's not for everyone. And we hear all of the success stories. Let's just remind ourselves that just, just the little, little LMS365, passing 15 million ARR as a bootstrap company, that's only for 0.4% of businesses that ever get started. So Rob, I, I do have I do have one more question uh, yeah. which I want to sneak in. Um, so you you you've been CEO and you've you've been in startups. You've 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 got boards. You've got all those sorts of things. What what do you say to the the enthusiastic, the excited person that's they've come up with a brilliant idea, they've got sufficient money to start the business, etc. They're not going to be a one man band but they're going to have some sort of management team or some sort of board. Mm. So for the purpose of the question, I'll ask, I'll, I'll use the word board, but it could just be your management team. What advice do you give to the founder, to the head of what sort of board do you put together? So when I, when I took on a company, the very first person that I, I, I was the managing director and I was the CEO, but I mm. had 10% of the company, the other person, the, the owner of the company had 60%. And the first thing I said to him is, if I'm going to head this up, I wanted a particular person on the board. Yeah. And the founder said to me, why in God's name would you want him on your board? You argue all the time. You, yeah. you don't get on, you don't get on that well. You don't. And I said, let me tell you something. On a board, I don't want yes men. If no. ever that man agrees with me, I'll be bloody right. And 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 he was he was fantastic on my board because if I could convince him that it was right, I knew it had to be right. So, what advice would you give to to a founder or a CEO who has the opportunity of shaping their management team or creating their board? Um, I'll take two examples from my own life as well. Um, I have, a, I have a person called Morten Borger. He was my uh, CEO and partner uh, for nearly 14 years. I worked with him. Whenever anyone asked us about our teamwork, we knew we had strengths and weaknesses, uh, both of us, and we accepted that. But most of all, we were never yes men. We've argued like an old married couple probably a lot of times in front of people where people would go, don't these guys know each other? Um, but we always would say that's how we found strength because the solution was never in Rasmus is 100% right or uh, Morton is 100% right. Sometimes Morton was right and sometimes I was right and we would accept that and move on. And sometimes the solution was 75, 25%. But what we always agreed was whatever that balance was of who, 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 or who was more right, the outcome was better for us having had the disagreement. So that's number one. I agree with you on the yes men. Do not do not find them. That will not help you. And the other thing is, I'll take my my first boss ever, Sven Lausus. I started in in uh, in Nokia a uh, long, long time ago as a product manager. I was fortunate enough; Nokia was growing phenomenally, um, and thereby they started a development uh, department in Denmark, and they were hiring a whole new product management team. And Sven. And I actually told him this as, as, as recently as, as, as last year. It was just early last year, actually. I talked to him and, and recaptured uh, or, or re, re, 
rehash the story. He basically built a team of some young talents. We were two young guys on the team. We had three really old veterans and he had this mid-tier of super talented kind of middle of career. And what that actually meant was that I started out my career in the best possible way. I got some older veterans, for lack of a better word, but they were just solid professionals. They showed you how to behave. You still had the wildness of the middle tier of, of, of people. And then you had kind of the crazy, okay, let's go. I can do anything. I've just come out of school. I can do whatever um, in me. And and actually, actually, my friend from school, but you're not, you're not kid you not. But I tell him that that team composition was fantastic. Don't just hire people who are all the same level because you you get a weird dynamics out of that and also on the management team here in in lms 365 we have some some young talents we have added some people who've seen things before and we have people who understand the business very very well and that allows you to bring up the talents it allows you a fixed base and it allows you some veterans to kind of help help shape um, shape the direction of the company so those would be the two advices. Make sure the talent base is, is diverse enough yep. um, and make sure that you have someone who you can argue with, uh, then agree and then go execute. Because if you continue to just disagree, you're also not in for a good result. You have to argue, get to a conclusion, and then whatever happens, don't question the conclusion, execute. Yep. Okay, now I'll let you take, take the, the, the call back. Well, I think that was really good uh, because listening to uh, Rasmus uh, is always a pleasure, as was in the first interaction two weeks back when he was chatting with um, our entire team in Australia. And one of the things that he was telling that point of time was to build um, build trust within your teams and uh, be very transparent um, with uh, what you are, what you are doing. Um, would like to know, you know, more context on that part, Rasmus, because a lot of the times we don't understand the meaning of trust and transparency. Literally, we know what, what it means, but uh, the depth of these words uh, are definitely important to understand because um, I feel that it's definitely not easy to build trust and transparency, not only in your personal life relationships, um, also in your professional life relationships and the things that you do both in your uh, personal and professional life. So, would you like to highlight on this, on the context of uh, yeah. what you meant at that point of time when you said trust and transparency? It it come it comes from the fact that as a CEO, you have to accept you're not the smartest person in the room about a certain subject, and often you will ask the CEO to make five minute decisions on things that you will get briefed on, and then try to make a decision. Obviously, you may have context for the entire business at that point that will make you able to make a good decision. But often the person asking for that decision has a better context. And that means that from the CEO chair down or towards the team, I should say, you need to be transparent and give them as much information as humanly possible. There are things that you, you cannot give, but as, as humanly possible for them to make the decisions themselves. And the obligation of the CEO is to ask questions to make sure the decision is right. Because if you always just ask the CEO, what should I do with this? And it's go left, or go right. You're not teaching the organization to move by itself. You're actually te teaching the organization to gravitate towards a single point of failure, which is the CEO. 
Um, and again, it's this voices of people thinking through. The more people you think through that think through a problem and the more questions you can ask, the better the decision becomes. But obviously, you need to give people as much context as they can uh, because that will enable them to make the right decisions for the business and it will make the business move faster. And just to put a, a final piece of color on that, I've been lucky enough to work in the industry that is uh, mobile roaming. This means I've actually had customers in every single country bar one in the world. That is North Korea. That's the only, the only place in the world where they don't have roaming. And that means that even this transparency and making decisions, you have to put into a cultural aspect because it's not every culture. Uh, Denmark is renowned for having a low hierarchy type of decision. That's not, for, that's not in every culture. So you also have to um, put the transparency and the decision power into a cultural aspect of being able to make decisions in cultures that have different hierarchy structures, different sort of power distance structures and all those kind of things. But I've also been pleasantly surprised that if you run this type of system and if you explain to people what this is, there's not that much different in any cultures because everyone wants to be good. Everyone wants to make the decision. Everyone, if you trust them to make mistakes, will actually make, make that decision. But the key is in trust them to make mistakes because some cultures also have a higher degree of zero failure tolerance, um, which you need to enable. And that's, uh, again, probably a, a, or it is a, a typical Scandinavian value to have that type of belief system. Um, but if you can explain that, if you can show that in the way you work in your daily life, it helps everyone. And I've, I'm still to try and find a culture where it doesn't work. It may take longer to get there. Um, but that's a very, very interesting uh, global perspective when we all think we're a market of one or we're everyone's so different. Actually, the trust, transparency, belief, and the ability to make mistakes without, um, with, with a certain set of empowerment, actually sits deep within every every human being, um, and everyone wants to be good. Absolutely, and I think um, I was having a discussion with Paul uh, in my Australian team a few days back, and he gave me a very uh, advice, very meaningful advice. He said that. I really want you to fail fast and learn quickly um, in, in, in the induction because I'm still in my induction period. And he said, I really want you to fail fast and learn quickly and deliver more demonstrations of the product um, independently without any guidance from us. Because when you mm -hmm. will do it on your own, uh, you might lose a deal. That's fine. But you learn it. And I want you to learn quickly and apply yeah. it in the next one. So, you know, that's one of the things that he told, uh, which stick to my mind at that point of time. I also have another question for you. Um, mm -hmm. I know George took away 10 minutes of the two questions that were lined up for me. Uh, <laughs> I still ask you those questions. Doesn't matter if 30 minutes, 31 minutes, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, the question is, how does your day look like from 9 to 5 as a CEO? Um, or it, it's not 9 to 5 for a CEO. I would, yeah. I would it's always 24 hours. <laughs> If if I wanted it to have been nine to five, we should never have been both in San Francisco, in Australia, in Denmark. That that's a um, that 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 will be that that that's not going to happen. 
Um, you remember nine to five, don't you, Rasmus? <laughs> yeah, look, it, it, we also need to remember that as, as even as CEOs, uh, take good care of yourself and take good care of the people around you. Uh, you're never a good CEO if you don't have the support from your home front. Again, yeah. you ask me who I am, and I started by op I opened with my family. I didn't open with uh, with my accolades or my title mm -hmm. or anything, because I do believe that one of the things that's important is that you also have time for these things. I do uh, take off on the afternoon. Uh, I put my running shoes off. I, on I live in a beautiful mountain, so I take my bike and ride through the hills of, of uh, Marin. To clear my mind and just spend some time where it can just be me uh, so that's important so that is part of the ceo life but obviously my first thought in the morning is i need to get a coffee because that's often very early when europe is still awake um the other part is i try to spend at least 40 to 50 percent a day on external events uh, if you're a ceo you can often get uh, pulled back into a lot of internal stuff remember uh and i put that to myself every day that you're also the face externally facing and whether this is doing a podcast, whether that's talking to partners, to customers, to investors, to owners, to whatever is outside of the team, try to spend time um, or try to force yourself to spend time on that because you won't as a CEO understand what the customer wants, uh, how the partners perceive your program um, if you don't speak to them. If you ever, always hear it through a filter uh, coming back into the organization, you won't be exposed to both the good and the bad of the business and the perspectives on how you're you're running the business. So that's a that's a key um, that's a key piece. And then on the other uh, parts, it's a lot of spending time with the with the team. Try to spend as much time with people as at all possible, um, and then also make sure that you do production. Uh, the one thing I've never relinquished. Um, is that I've always said I should be able to cont contribute with production, whether that's, hey, we need a press release out. If you need that, I should still be able to do stuff like that. I insist on doing my own presentation. I insist on doing some of these. It keeps you sharp. Um, and that's sometimes I do actually, or I do make sure that I have an hour or two hours to work. And work is not email, work is not meetings, work to actually do production um, just to make sure that um, both I stay sharp and that the CEO role is not the, I think George mentioned, oh, you just sit there and wait to, until something happened. But I want to show the organization that if we need to uh, go into trying to win a deal together, if I'm the one who's awake, I'm the one who's helping. I want to show our owners that if we need a presentation on how the market outlook is, I can do that. And I know what this is. And I've done the foundational research to be able to talk in, a, in an educated way about it. Um, so if you take that, I want to spend the, uh, the majority of time on, on external stuff. The next ne next most important thing is, is the team. And then making sure that you still have some, some surplus energy for production is, um, is super important. And then the last piece for that, Sharab, is I try to structure what's important together with the team. Um, we run uh, OKRs as part of the business. We've, it's one of the things that I've implemented since I've, I've arrived so that we set a set of key objectives and key results that we agree as a management team are important for us to move along. We've set a 2026 ambition if we want to be a unicorn, we want to uh, 
want to be among this top 0.04% of businesses. So we will go up even one, one step higher, right? But what does it take in terms of steps to get there? And I always think in stories. Um, I think about this is the easiest way to explain to employees how we get there. And as I joined, uh, I created a headline, <laughs> which is called Aarhus to Unicorn, Aarhus representing where we started. That's the foundational place of, or the founding place of the business and representing good ability to run a business, do it with an ability to still make money, not just burn. It should be said that LMS365 has not burned any cash. We're not VC backed or anything like that. It's done on, on in a bootstrap fashion. So that represents Aarhus, but Unicorn represents the ultimate ambition, right? That's 0.04% is the same people who show up at the Olympics. Um, so when you tell people that, you can have a team that either runs away and goes, hey, we're never going to be that. Try and tell any sports team in the third division that they're going to win the Champions League next year or the Super Bowl or whatever sport. Uh, I should probably give a cricket or rugby um, a reference the, um, here. But um tell a tell a team in the third division that that will, will happen you've got to have some really strong minds to believe that that will happen yeah. and then seeing people as you tell the story and saying this is how we break it down this is how we can get there this is how we can everyone's starting to believe and then seeing the marketing team come back with uh tattoos of uh, baby unicorns when we hit 100 million danish kroner in arr and go, yeah, we're not a baby unicorn, we believe. And then they, we've done the, the full unicorn drawing and everything like that. Starting to have people actually talk about it as if that's just going to happen. Because that essentially is the storyline that you're just going for. Hey, we actually now believe we don't even have to start in the third division. You can start in the first division, but still from there to winning the Champions League is still a long, long, there's still a long way. But you have a team that believes in the story. And that's the last piece I actually think is important for the CEO. What do, what is, what do I spend my day on? And that's probably closer to the, the myth that George put out, which is just sit there and think, right? But thinking storylines that people can relate to and that they can hang their ambitions on and that they can go back and say to friends, family, um, business partners, customers, we're proud to be on this journey. We know we'll get there. Is enormously um, powerful. How does that mean for you? Can I jump in there, I jump in there Sarab, and yeah. say to you? Yeah. Yeah. That those that that have never been in the role, mm -hmm. who think that you just sit around and you drink coffee and it's a very easy life and you tell people what to do, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, 95% of them if they sat in a CEO role for a day, they would run a mile. They would run a mile. There is there is so much involved in the role. There is so much. And, and for the good ones, the bad ones, it's easy because they do sit around and just yell and scream and shout. But their businesses don't flourish. If if a CEO is is a coach, is a mentor, yeah. is, a, is an advisor, is a nurturer, is a leader, is a follower, and they have to know which part of that are they, not every hour, every minute of their day. And it's, um, uh, I, I have to say, Rasmus, I am, this, is one of, this has been one of the most enjoyable uh, podcasts we've done. I have really feel like I'm blessed to have met you. 
Likewise, I enjoy being here. So I'm, yeah. I'm super, super thankful you, you wanted to have me on. But the podcast is not yet over. We have gone. No, 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 no. I know that. I just, I just and, wanted to uh, Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really wanted to understand from you after joining the ANZ team, how are you managing your time zones? Because you're in the US, you were not used to this Asia-Pacific time zone, and suddenly you are thrown into this new time zone. How are you coping up with that? Again, uh, I've, again, I've been fortunate enough to have customers in every single country in the world. So the, the whole time zone issue is an issue for everyone. And I think it starts with accepting that you cannot be there all the time for all people. And you have to make priority calls. There's no way you can work 24 hours a day. And I think the myth about, hey, the CEO also works 24 hours a day. You're going to burn out. I'm an avid cycling fan. And there's no never anyone who's won the Tour de France by being in the breakaway the whole uh, the whole 21 stages, right? There's a reason for that. Um, so it's, it's about making the priority calls. And then... As George says, it's about feeling that feeling where where do you have places of certainty? If the APAC region is going super well and the US needs support, you have to spend more time in that time zone. If Europe is under pressure from sort of the energy crisis and everything that they have there, you have to be awake earlier and just move your day up to make sure that you are there where people need where where, where it's most needed, and you will always have. You're never done and you will have to make these these uh, split second, it's almost split second decisions on where do people need the coach the most, right? And it's, again, it's no different than you watching a sports game and you see that the midfield is breaking apart. Those are the people in the break that you take time to talk to and say, hey guys, the defense is holding up, the offense is actually scoring two goals, but you guys are letting them run through you uh, all the time and that's creating chances for the other team. So it's always finding this balance of where do you put your energy. If you're trying to coach everyone at the same time, you likely will run uh, run dry of, of energy. Um, so it's a it's it's a lot of that feeling where where the team needs needs to be tweaked or helped or supported. One of the final questions for you, Rasmus, is regarding the product itself. Um, so regarding LMS three six five, you know, I know about that. But I would like to know from your perspective, why do you think it is the right fit for the customers? And how would you describe your target audience in that sense? Um, and of course, what's the USP for this product that really catches the eyes of the target audience? That was a, that was a, a fairly, fairly nice layup for a product pitch. And I'll then let you down and, and answer it in a completely different way. Um, <laughs> Because the one thing that I can then add for myself, I'm actually the son of two school teachers. And LMS365 and the mission that we're on is actually more important than what the product does. We say that we want to democratize learning. We want to give learner, uh, learning in the hands of, of everyone. We want them to be able to find learning in the tools they're in every day. So that's why we build it exclusively for Microsoft Teams. Um, the mission that we're actually on to make sure that learning reaches employees. And it's not just compliance, which we obviously will sell as well. It's not just, it's not just onboarding. It's how do I get better? Because we started this out by, uh, 
reciprocating a I'm in my 20s, I'm close to 50. And as all through our careers, we want to learn. We want to get better. Whether you want to get better tomorrow by doing something, a podcast and learning from that, or I want to get better at understanding uh, a financial metric that I may have never have tried to fully understand. It's us learning about life, becoming better professionals, becoming better employees and, and colleagues. Um, and that's the that's actually the most important part of it. And we can see that the organizations who implement it, they very often get that reaction. We're probably not the most advanced technology in the learning management space, but we are the, the technology closest to the users. And that makes me super happy um, because the target audience of anyone who wants to develop their organization, if there's an organization who doesn't want to deliver, develop their talent and bring talent up and make them have access to training, I don't think there's anyone in the CEO position who has that as an ambition. I actually think that's uh, that would be contradictory to how you would want to run a team. Um, so that's what I'm actually most uh, most proud of, and 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 that's that's the that's the that's the actual rationale behind the product, not the product pitch, uh, because I think that's that's what really resonates with people. And actually, you had one question that you I know you wanted to answer me is. Why do you get up every day and what motivates you when you start other than the coffee I need to get at very early hours to get started at all? But it's that. It's as simple as that. You actually deliver a product that helps people forward. In what part of the world, in what part of any culture is education not important? It's important for every walks of life, however you think about yourself. It's the thing that drives all of us forward that we become better every day. And whether you decide that is collecting stamps or running a hundred miles or whatever you want to be doing, be good at your professional life. Um, that's how, how you get up every day because that's how you help people. Yeah. It's so different for different, you know, uh, people at different ages. So like for me, uh, one of the things that really motivates me on a daily basis is, you know, listening to mentors, um, and trying to achieve uh, what they always advise me to do. For example, if George messages me on LinkedIn, hey, mate, you have to get in touch with this speaker and get him on our podcast. I need to do that within two hours uh, because, you know, mm. I consider him as my coach and a mentor. And he's really um, helped me in a, lot, in a lot of things in thinking in the right fashion um, in my personal professional life. So I really appreciate him for that. And of but course, you, then then let me let then let me turn the question around. Do you think yeah. that changes because you are in at my age or George's age that you want to find mentors you can learn from? There's no pinnacle. There is yeah. no. You never get to the point where you cannot learn anything. Yeah. Of course, you learning always need mentors. The, the the trick is Rasmus. I'm now sixty seven. You got to. <laughs> At 50, you can find somebody 20 years older than you. At 67, it's starting to get a bit harder. But there, there are still people. I, I took on the role of a CEO of a charity last year. Yeah. And one of my very good friends that I've known for probably oh, more than 15, 20 years, uh, he's done a lot of work in charity. Um, and so I contacted him and I asked him, would he be my mentor in the charity side of my life now so um so there are what what rasmus is saying is you 
you constantly want to find somebody that's done that before you, irrespective of your age, if you still want to learn. And yeah. unlike you, Erasmus, the day I die will be the day I stop learning. And, yeah. and, and then I'll, and he, I'll learn in a different world. And here, and here's 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 a realization. Um, coming into this role, uh, the, the business did not have a, a corporate social responsibility uh, program. Um, of all the things I've done, I've actually never built one of those. Um, and I went into our marketing team and, and we have a young, talented a female, Emma. Um, and she was going, I actually, I actually know a bit about this. Uh, and I went, that means you know more about it than me. <laughs> um, and here's, here's again back to the trust and transparency. And I said to Emma, I promise you that whatever you need, I'll find that I am on 99% sure that the biggest barrier to getting this off the ground is funding. And I said, think about what you need, come back to me and we'll take, we'll, we'll sit down for an hour and we'll find a solution. And she came back, she prepared a program. This is what we want to be doing. Uh, this is how we think about it, uh, our environmental footprint. This is how we think about uh, doing good. Um, all of those types of things she came back with. Um, and I said, "That's what, what does that cost? And she said, this is what it costs. Here you go, off to the races. And she's been phenomenal ever since. Here's what then happens. I actually learn from someone much younger than me, actually knowing the subject matter much better than me. And what I'm then, what I see my own role as is that I can obviously see a talented young female who will become something one day. So for me, that's about giving her challenges in life that someone has been kind enough to give me um, early on in life, middle of my career, everything like that. And luckily, I have a board of very, uh, very good, supportive people. So when we talked about this and said, here's, here's how we want to introduce our CSR program, they said, why don't you bring Emma on instead of just doing a CEO presentation? And you two, the two of you can guess how she did. She obviously prepared better than I would ever have been able to do. I asked her to say, to tell me what she was going to present. And I promised her that my broad shoulders, even though they're not that very broad, I'm tall, but I'm not very, I'm not very wide. Um, uh, I'll carry it if you get in trouble. So trust me on that. I'll take, if anything goes wrong, that's on me. And you never actually had to fear because she aced it. And we have strategy day next week. And actually, you know what the board has done? They've asked for Emma to come back and present what's the next part of the story. And here's the thing. I learned from someone much younger than me. Um, I get better by understanding how she talks about it because the next generation do not talk about corporate social responsibility, purpose, all of that. Like I did when I started, my purpose was just, I got a job at Nokia. They make a lot of mobile phones. That was my purpose. Um, and the young generation now talks about it in a different way. And in, at, at um, where I'm at in my career, I need to listen to that. And I'm just so happy that I can expose someone also still in their 20s uh, to a board level discussion with some former Apple executives, some Vodafone board members, an actual serious crowd uh, who are able to ask very direct, very targeted questions to understand a business, all of that. And she comes back with accolades. And in, in my humble opinion, that's what it's all about. 
I learned about something. I feel I gave a lot back to Emma in terms of her, her, her prospering career. Um, and I'll continue to support her, of course. Um, and and that, I think, is the best thing. I've never done a pod podcast. I should probably learn from the two of you how to do that, right? Um, so I can I learn from him. I'll, that that's why I said yes, and I said to him before we started the podcast, "Listen, uh, whatever I can do to support you, you're teaching me something as well." Right? And I yeah. think again, that's that's the key of it. Mentors come in many shapes and forms. Uh, I've, uh, if you have story time enough for one more anecdote, I had to thank a person I met thirty years ago, thirty five years ago. He was my basketball coach, an American who came to Denmark and helped as, let's put it honestly, we were a good athlete, but crappy team. And he made us do all the things that Americans do, fundamentals, be good at stuff before you actually, before you think you can shoot like Steph Curry. And I was fortunate enough to when um, we came to the US, my son is a great soccer player, but he started playing basketball on the worst team. And they lost 40 odd points to nil the first game and I asked if I could help and the dad who was coaching was saying yeah you can and we went can we want to play defense we want to be good at fundamentals and they promised me that they would work hard and I promised them that they would win and obviously we did it took a lot of games and we brought down the scores of the other team because we we became good at defense we could just get them down to 20 points that meant we only need to score 10 baskets we could win and they did. And the smile on those guys, those uh, boys' faces when they won, they didn't believe they could win. But it's the same as always to Unicorn. Set them in a motion that they start to believe, set their or orchestrate the movement towards. And when they did win, I called uh, my former coach. He's now coaching down in San Jose, a college here in there. So he's actually almost where I am. And I, he has a very particular surname, Peter Diebenbrock. And I wrote him and said, Peter, I've passed on your, your heritage. I've done exactly the same like you did to a crappy team in Denmark who went from playing really bad basketball to getting to, uh, to the uh, championship games. And here we just went from losing 40-odd to nil to winning games. But it was your legacy I passed on. It was not. It was just me from a mentor, which is from a completely different way. But the way of thinking about business in fundamentals, being good at that, and then adding things on top and motivation and motion towards is true in many walks of life. Yep. Yep. I think these are really great advice that you have given us at the moment, Rasmus. And I think there was so much to learn from this particular episode, especially for me. I'm going to go back to that episode again and especially listen to that part of storytelling that you uh, really want us to include in the sales pitch, which I haven't included yet. So I will make sure that now uh, that storytelling part is also becoming a part of the sales pitch whenever I'm having any interaction with the customer. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. And otherwise, I think it was a great episode. Um, I have learned a lot in this episode. And I look forward to you know having uh, more different kind of CEOs and founders in this uh, podcast. I've already, we have already invited a few of them in the past, um, not as a special series of episodes, but they have been talking uh, from their perspectives. I'm sure that 
every person's story is so different and the whole concept of this podcast was this only um the theme is a podcast on global affairs and people's stories we consider both george and i consider that every person has got a different story yeah. um every ceo thinks in a very different way and it's good to learn from each other it's good to learn from what people think and kind of apply that in our lives yeah. so that's the whole theme of this podcast any final comments from you george before we end this no i i just want to <clears throat> take up a point that rasmus made <clears throat> yeah experience is not necessarily connected to the number of years you've been on this mm-hmm. earth and and it's like uh rasmus has said he's learning about a podcast from you when when sarab approached me about the podcast i said yes um i'd never done one either and i've learned many things from you so the clever person yeah. finds people that has got the experience mm. before them and has learned from it and that's the person that you use and it's like my friend jim in the in the um um in the charity zone i'm actually i think i'm about maybe 8 or 9 years older than jim but mm. i am much younger than jim in my experience and knowledge of working in the charity so people need to look at who they bring in and who they get their guidance for don't think that the youngest person is the smartest pencil in the box don't think that the oldest person is the smartest person very true yeah. one of the special ideas that i had given before to paul as well is the uh, special series of episodes for lnd and hr specialists in australia and new zealand um mm. and we can take it further as well uh, to other continents as well so that is also a really good approach i always feel to not always hard sell but have that soft selling approach where you are trying to form a community we are tr- you're trying to become an expert in the industry and once mm-hmm. you become an expert people will find you credible people will find you trustworthy to interact with um, and to uh, you know buy your product that's what i think um, and that's was one of my ideas that i suggested to him Uh, and i'm sure we are going to implement it pretty soon uh, in this region uh, by working together do you have anything to say on that rasmus before we end this podcast i think a lot of that obviously lies in the brand as well it's how you yeah. treat other people it's how we behave as a business um so absolutely yeah the storytelling is a big part of why people buy all kinds of products not just software products not just clothing products everything like that i think i've never seen as many postings on linkedin as when patagonia handed over the company to earth uh, of all uh, right and said we will not make profits from this it will all go to make earth a better place so yeah. obviously that's a brand equity um and the brand equity doesn't have to give the entire company back to earth because we cannot always all do that the first person has done that it's uh, that's um, that's patagonia's brand but you can absolutely be the ones who enable um everyone to learn the way they want to learn and give uh, abilities to to organization to to extend that to every person in their organization um and if that's our brand then we're all behind it yeah sounds really exciting thank you so much rasmus uh, for taking out your time i would uh, leave it here and uh, enjoy your rest of the evening 
Um, and I don't have you have a public holiday tomorrow, isn't it? I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But 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 they I, again back to the globality. Someone will be working. Yeah, of course. Of course. Excellent. Uh, Thank you so much. It was a privilege and a pleasure. I'm humbled you wanted me on the podcast. And thank you for a phenomenal discussion. I really enjoyed that. Thank you. Thank you so much. I look, I look forward to future discussions. This is an ultimate global podcast. Hello, and welcome to our special weekly podcast on trending international and social affairs. You're listening to Saurabh Kora and George Mavros from Sydney.